Welcome to A Thousand Tiny Steps. I'm Barb Higgins, and in this podcast, I'll share personal stories of great joy and tragedy and the steps that brought me there. I have become adept at tracing them backward to find the origin of an event, good or bad, that has affected my life. I have gone from being on top of the world with Division I All-American success to being unable to get out of bed with the grief of losing a child and everything in between. I am painfully honest, which can make people uncomfortable, but discomfort brings growth and oftentimes tragedy brings joy. So tie, buckle, slip on, release up your shoes and join me as we begin our thousand tiny steps. Hey everybody, Barb Higgins here. Welcome to my podcast, A Thousand Tiny Steps, season one, episode seven. Get all those organizational details in my introduction today. I'm sitting here in my little office slash storage room trying to get episode seven recorded for like the fifth time. And I've had two or three starts already today. Sometimes when I think of what I want to talk about and what I want to say, I have a really hard time narrowing it down. I remember a a writing lesson that I had in one of my writing classes when I was in graduate school. And my teacher was like, you're such a good big picture thinker. You're like a telephoto lens in your head, but I need you to narrow it down. So you're just zooming in on one thing. And I have a really hard time with that. I have a hard time with that in my life. I think I evidence this practice in my head in a lot of my ability to start things and not finish. You know, and I can't, I can't sit back and say, oh, poor me, I never can finish these things. I think at some point we make our choices. And for whatever reason, I love starting things and then not finishing and then feeling bad that I didn't finish. <laughs> so episode seven, it's like the universe's way of saying, ha, let's see if you really want to record a podcast. And I do. So today I'm going to talk primarily about day-to-day life with Jack, what it's like, you know, day in, day out at 58 with a baby. And then that will, of course, lead into a lot of differences generationally. And of course, the multitude of questions I get from people asking me, you know, why would you start all over? Why would you do that again? Or, you know, you could retire and, you know, why are you doing that now? And, you know, all those questions are valid. And and I spend a lot of time thinking about them, actually. I spend a lot of time thinking about a lot of things. But one thing I will say is what I do notice in life is there is a pattern you follow. And you can see families that they have their kids and all their kids grow up and, and marry people that are similar to their parents and do all the same traditions and big family gatherings and everyone's together. And then those kids have kids and there is nothing wrong with this. This is actually a wonderful thing. My college boyfriend had one of those families, Irish and Italian together and everything, every holiday was every relative. It was wonderful. And I, and I loved it because I didn't grow up with that. I have plenty of family around and big holidays. We were all together, but there's a, there's a level where family is the first thing you think of in everything that you do. I have a family, a wonderful family. We all get along. You know, there might be minor disagreements, but no big family feuds. Nobody's disowned anybody. And we get together for things, but we also can go months living our own lives. So in having Jack and really thinking about what his life will be like, I think about these things. I think about those families that have traditions. Like, you know, I I see pictures of of people's new babies with all their little cousins the same age. And they're going to have this whole growing up experience with all of the relatives that are their age. I have a picture of Gracie on a couch at Christmas. It's her first Christmas. So she's, you know, eight months old or so. And she is with John and Orion and Trinity. And they're all together. And they're sitting on the couch, the four of them, these four babies. Now, John lives in the South. Orion and Trinity lived relatively nearby, but not super nearby. And then we're in Concord. And so... Not all four of those babies spent a ton of time together. 
they spent significant time together and holidays and, and knew who each other was and all of this. But it wasn't one of those things where we all lived in the same neighborhood and every day I babysat yours and you babysat mine. And I think sometimes that we we view normal, regular families as following this sort of pattern. We see it in lots and lots of families. And then there are families who are far away from everyone they know. So I, I think sometimes how my life in having a child at this age, will that manifest for Jack? Who are his cousins? Well, his cousins in our family, his related to cousins on, on his dad's side are actually his nieces and nephews. He's, you know, he's Gracie's brother. So Gracie's siblings, Jack's siblings, Katie, Davy, Kenny, they have their kids and those are Jack's nieces and nephews, but they're his age. I am the niece of my uncle Waltie, who's two years younger than me. And we spent a lot of time together growing up. I think of him as my cousin, but he's my uncle. So already Jack's sort of titles in terms of how he fits into the family are unique. He's an uncle <laughs> at birth. In, in, you know, in day-to-day life, what you're labeled matters not. Labels are just that. Labels, it's how we organize and quantify things as human beings. But I think about these things. I think about as he gets older and starts to piece together what other people's lives are like and what his life is like, how will he feel about that? And then that leads into a whole host of other variables, values, how do we raise our kids? What do we say when people think I'm his grandmother or Kenny's his grandfather? You know, lots of people think Grace is his mother. These are some things that happen just because we enter into life with expectations of how things are supposed to be normal and different or normal and abnormal, however you want to look at it. And for sure, we're an abnormal family. I think about multi-generational families and my mother, when she grew up, you know, there were grandparents, parents, and children living in houses all the time together. Well, Jack kind of has that now, except that it's two generations that manifest as three. You know, Kenny and I are old enough to be his grandparents. Gracie is old enough to be his mother. So when you look at the people living in this house, although we don't, we don't exhibit or illustrate three generations, our ages do. Our ages show that what Kenny and I bring to the table would be what a typical grandparent would bring. What Gracie brings to the table is what a, what a woman her age raising a child today would think is important for her child. And, and Jack is the recipient of this. This whole generational piece is big for me. I spent a lot of time thinking about it. You know, I, I was born at the very end of the baby boomer generation. Kenny is as boomer as they get, right smack in the middle of the glory days of the United States in a time between wars when life was good. And when we really look at our upbringings, they're different. They're different in a generational way. You know, forget money or, or geography or all of those things. There's differences. And we bring those differences to the table as parents. We did with Gracie and with Molly. And then there's me. I'm born in 1963, so I'm just the tail end of the boomers, but really a Gen Xer. And when I look at my how I feel and, and how my childhood was, I feel more like I'm a Generation X type person. And then you've got Gracie, who's a Gen Z. They're called Zoomers. She's the first generation that has spent her whole life, their whole life, after the internet and social media and cell phones and the ability to communicate instantly and find information instantly. So this generational piece is, is also a big piece for me. These are not things I spent a lot of time thinking about when I was growing Jack. I really, at that point, was just following what I thought the universe was telling me to do, which was to have a baby. And now he's here. And so what do we do? How do we make, how do we manifest the best for him in a way that, you know, mimics normalcy, even though we're very different? And actually, when you really get a group of mothers together, the walls come down and the curtains open and, and we find out that we are all a lot more similar than we think we are. Mothers who, who are young enough to be my children, a lot of the mothers I lived and work out with in Monstrong, we're all the same. We're very, very similar in, in how we feel about our babies and what we want for them and what we think is important in raising them. 
I would say probably the biggest difference is the gadgets. You know, everything that you buy now has the ability to lull your baby to sleep, to occupy your baby with music. You can put your baby in a room with a camera and, you know, drive around the block without ever not being able to see your baby. These are things that are very different to me. I, I just want my baby close. So if I can't hear him, then I feel like I'm too far away. And if that interferes with my day, if that interferes with my, what I can do at the time that he's sleeping, so be it. I'll choose activities that are close. That's just me. There's no value judgment there. You know, sometimes I think Gracie looks at me and rolls her eyes inside her head, like, well, you could make this a lot easier, mom. And I think, why would I make this easier when it's, it's so rewarding the way I do it? So all of those things sort of come into play now. And I'm really much more of an observer at this point. He's seven months old in a week. We, we have a long time to sort of really put together his life. In looking at Jack, and, and I've said before that a baby crystallizes things, it really does give me pause and make me think long and hard about things. I will acknowledge there are times you go online and you read the obituaries and people are passing away. And a lot of my friends' parents are passing away. And I think, oh, you know, we're in our late 50s and, our, and one by one, the parents are dying. A good friend of mine that I went to high school with, her husband just passed away from cancer. Deaths are hitting me a little bit more hard now. And I think it's because I realized that Jack will be quite young when a lot of the important people in his life die. Hopefully not me or Kenny, but again, some of my best friends lost their parents at very young ages. So, so sometimes the chronology and the tradition of life doesn't matter in when you go, but, but it's made me think and it touches me differently. You know, I look back to the assumptions I had in my head when Molly and Gracie were little, what I thought life would be like for them, how I thought it would be and how I facilitated their day-to-day life and what I thought they needed. And I had assumptions. I had assumptions that today on this date, they would be freshmen and junior in college and everything would be fine. And, you know, we all know that it's not what happened at all. So I have no assumptions for Jack. I don't assume anything. I look at today and I try to make today as healthy and positive as possible so that tomorrow is a good day. And if there's something from yesterday or a month ago or two weeks ago or eight months ago that I can learn from, I try to incorporate that in as well. So I think I'm much more aware. And that, I think any, I think that comes a bit with being older. I was at the coffee shop I go to after CrossFit, my Momstrong class today. And I ran into two women, both in their sixties, one pushing a baby in a carriage that was her grandson. It was his first birthday. And we talked and compared notes and And then in the coffee shop, just some people sitting next to me at the table and just their awe and gratitude and getting chills about Jack and his arrival and, and how alert he is and how beautiful he is. And, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that when I meet people like that and have these interactions, I realize that Jack's existence sparks a thought that they may not have had before. Both of these women thought it was wonderful. You know, sometimes I get the, I would never want to do that again. And neither of these women thought that way. They both loved the time they could swim with their grandchildren. They were both thrilled and in awe that I could find a doctor that was willing to help me have a baby and facilitate that. So that was a wonderful, wonderful thing. So along with thinking about all of those things, the gener- how am I a different mother than Gracie would be? How am I a different mother now than I was 20 years ago? You know, all of these things are in the forefront of my mind all the time. I would have to say, if I had to pinpoint one way that I'm different now than I was then is I have a lot less stress. <laughs> Although some people might not think so. I had, a, I had a rough day yesterday, but I have a lot less sort of overall stress around the outcome of things. You know, with Gracie and Molly, I was still really hung up on when they would potty train and when they would eat, what I was supposed to do as a mother and what did the book say and what did my doctor say? And, you know, I had a hard time in the beginning really trusting my intuition. And now, of course, I care about all of those things, but quite frankly, I know that it will all work out. 
and that babies are all so different that they're really, if there was only one way to do it, then only a small fraction of us would be alive right now. So understanding that allows me to take sort of a big breath. And older women that I talk to when, when I introduce them to Jack, get this, they get this immediately. The younger mothers, a lot of the moms in MomStrong, look at me, they're in it right now. They're in their thirties, they're, they're paying mortgage. A lot of these women are stay-at-home mothers and so their husbands are at work all the time. And they have, you know, I listen to them talk about the struggles and, you know, carving out time. And, you know, I have the baby all day and then he gets home, but he's been at work all day and he's tired. And, you know, none of those things exist right now in my reality. There are times when I'm ready to hand, hand the baby off or I'm going to give him to somebody, you know, because I've had a long day, but, but it's never that like overriding panic that these things, you know, have to get done or I'm going to be late for work or the mortgage will be late or the electrician's coming and nobody's going to be here. All of those things have taken a big step back in terms of their intensity. So how does that make me different as a mother? I don't know. I don't know if I'm any different. I don't know if, if Jack watched a video of me with Gracie and Molly, if he would think I was any different. I try very much to interact with him in a positive way. I tell him I love him a thousand times a day, which is, you know, who wouldn't? <laughs> you know, in terms of how I feel about Jack and how I mother him, I think I'm very similar. I think we are who we are. It's the external factors that are different that may moderate and modify how I raise him. Which leads me to another big piece. And I'm noticing right now, I'm sort of starting the podcast in the opposite direction. I was going to talk about all these things second. But a big piece, when I had Gracie and Molly, I've mentioned before that I came from some child abuse in my childhood. And I thought, and it was generational in my family. And I felt very strongly and still feel strongly that we pass things on to our children. We pass on abuse. We pass on trauma. When you enter into a relationship as someone that's been raised in a traumatic environment, it's logical and obvious that you will have trauma Trauma will affect how you behave in certain areas. Things can trigger you, PTSD, all of the things that go along with trauma. And this is a big hot button topic in education right now. How do we teach traumatized children? We're at the end of this pandemic, hopefully. And we're talking a lot about children that were in unhealthy homes and that were stuck in those homes all day. And what, what's this like for them? And children that had a hard time being alone, that were alone all the time. And now we're back and we've had children home for a year and now they have to suddenly remember how to act at school. All of these things are traumatic in and of themselves. And then you add in whatever trauma their parents had, financial trauma during the pandemic, housing, fear, food, illness, you know, the number of families that lost people to COVID, all of these things are traumatic. And it would be illogical to think that these things don't affect us day to day. They affect everything day to day. So when I married Kenny and had Gracie and Molly, one of the main reasons I felt I could marry Kenny and have children with him is how much his older children loved him and felt safe with him and trusted him. I just wanted a home where my children felt safe. There were times growing up that I didn't feel safe in my home. And that's such a horrifying way to feel as a child, child, because you don't, you don't have a sense that you're safe and it's the only place you can be. You know, you, you're not, when you're 10, you can't just go live somewhere else. When I was growing up, you know, no internet, no cell phones, no, you know, phones were on the wall. And the overriding message when I was growing up was that what happened in your home stayed in your home. You, you didn't say anything. If your parents, if your parents said, don't tell, you didn't. And, and as, as I look back on not just my upbringing, but so many of my friends, we talk about it now, you know, we go have dinner and drinks and we reminisce about raising children versus when we were children. The differences are stark, which ties into the whole generational thing with Gracie. You know, here she is watching me raise a child thinking, okay, why are you doing it that way when you should do it this way? Because she's 20 years younger than me. She would do it differently. My mother and I are 21 years apart. 
so getting back to the to the abuse piece, oftentimes, you know, not all children who are abused grow up to be abusers. That's actually not as common as one might think. Lots of child abusers were treated badly as children and, uh, and have trauma and maybe crime in their lives and, and things like this. But not all children who are abused grow up that way. Many abused children grow, grow up to be the kindest, most unabusive people you can imagine. They also, we, not they, we also tend to gravitate toward abusive people. And the more sensitive you are and the more empathic you are about these things, the bigger a target you are for some people that maybe not even consciously inflict abuse on others. So my fear as a young adult, when I was dating and when, you know, thinking about getting married was that I will never have children. So maybe I'll never get married. Maybe I'll be the crazy single aunt for my whole life and all my little nieces and nephews will love me. And I really felt strongly that way. I didn't meet Kenny until I was 33 and I was 38 when Gracie was born. So I took a long, it took me a long time to really decide that I could safely have a child. And I did not want to repeat the cycle of abuse. I didn't want at some point to find out Molly and Gracie by somebody they met at school or somebody on a bus or somebody had victimized them because they didn't know how to stand up for themselves. Because when you're told to keep your mouth shut, you become a good target for people. So I never told Molly and Gracie to keep their mouth shut. No secrets, unless it's a Christmas present, you know, be honest. Don't be afraid to speak your mind, speak your truth. Better to be honest and kind and lonely than lie and make things up to fit in. All the time, all the time, I, I would share this with Gracie and Molly about how to be. And they were not victims of child abuse. You know, Molly died of a brain tumor. I didn't have that one in my chart of what to prevent. You know, we don't think about those traumatic things. After her death, my overriding first fear was Gracie and her mental health. And would she try to kill herself? And would she be okay? And would she become a drug addict? And would she turn to a dark life to mask the pain? All of these things were huge in my mind. And it goes back to repeating cycles. So now let's enter in trauma. So it's quite clear I've had a traumatic life. Even the thought of having Jack could be considered by some people a traumatic event. I have a dream that, you know, scares the crap out of me a little bit. And then I have it again and again. And so then I follow the dream. And sure enough, here's a baby. So how do I create a life for Jack that isn't based on trauma? I'll, I'll have to do a lot of reading on that and be ever present that my words and actions and reactions are not based in a place of trauma. So that Jack can grow up in a healthy manner, assessing his environment and the people in it. My first thought around that is, do, am I sure that I'm not going to share trauma with Jack? Of course, I'm going to share trauma with Jack. You can't be me with all the traumas that I've had, job loss, child loss, you know, the, all of the sort of social struggles I've had in my coaching and teaching career, you know, some of my horrifying relationship issues. All of these things are traumatic and bring a, a measure of trauma into me. I think if I, if I were a reactive parent, it would be a given that Jack would be the victim of a trauma-based mother. So I will, and am as we speak, taking all that very seriously because it's a big piece of me as a healthy mother. I need to mother Jack in a healthy way. All of these things sort of lead into the life I'm creating for Jack and what day-to-day -day life is like for us. So in terms of like our day-to-day -day schedule, I think it looks no different than a lot of people's day-to-day -day schedule. We, we have a, a more relaxing morning than a lot of people do because I don't have to be to work at eight in the morning. So we wake up. Typically, as I've said before, I co-sleep with Jack. So Gracie's typically the first one in around 7.15 maybe. And she tiptoes in and peeks. And Jack and I are sometimes still asleep or I'm awake and he's asleep and I just haven't gotten up yet. Kenny will come in around 7.30, quarter of eight, two cups of coffee, sit in the recliner, and we'll have our morning there. I'll wake up, we'll have our little, you know, go to the bathroom, all of those things. 
So our first hour of the day is very relaxed. Gracie's room is right across from mine. So she's in and out getting ready for, she has school in the mornings or she works at, the, at her child care center job. So she, she'll be in and out sort of getting ready to start her day, which does start in the morning, but typically not much earlier than nine. Her childcare days are earlier. And on the days that Jack goes with her, <laughs> we struggle. We get up early. It reminds me of the good old days with Gracie and Molly and having to get up at six. The day itself, two and a half days a week, almost two and a half days, two at least, Jack goes to childcare. Do I need to send him? No. Is it healthy for Jack? Yes. Do I get a lot of conflicts when he's not here? Yes. For example, I'm recording, recording a podcast right now. This would be a very hard thing to do with Jack home, even if, even if he were just under the care of Kenny. There's a lot of noise going on. Things change. When he hears my voice, that's it. He needs me. In order to accomplish lots of things, we send Jack to childcare. It's also healthy for Jack. He spends time in a room with other babies. He, he sees babies older than him and babies younger than him. He is wonderful with babies. When we go to MomStrong at CrossFit, his favorite thing is to watch the kids running around. And he especially loves the other babies. So he, he gets that. Now he's cared for by Gracie. He's cared for by the other staff members. All of these women, mostly women there, a couple of, a couple of guys are very different. They're not me. And so he's interacting with adults that are much younger than me who aren't me. And he's learning that he can leave me and come back to me and life remains good. Now, granted, Gracie is there and that's his sister. So it, it, that's a measure of comfort for me. But take that out. It's still a, a really, really good place for him to be. And the people there love Jack and know us and his story. That's two days a week. And on those days, those are days I try to do all my work-related things. We try to get house projects done that wouldn't be easily done with Jack around the house and those kinds of things. Two days a week are my CrossFit Amesbury days where we go to MomStrong. And I try to make that those days real Jack and mom days. I have a coffee shop where I know some people we go Oftentimes we sit together in a group. I have family members that live in that area. So oftentimes after I work out, we visit with family. So Jack is getting to know his auntie Sheila. He's getting to know uncle Ricky and aunt Kathy. He's developing connections to people that aren't in his day-to-day -day life. People that also have children and connections to other children. Those days are really mommy and Jack days. Those are days that Kenny's here on his own. Those can be days where Kenny can you know, go golf and get his mental health together, or he can visit with his other children and have family time that's uninterrupted by the babiness of Jack. Oftentimes, however, again, he'll, he'll look at it as a chance to tackle projects at home that would be impossible to do with a baby around. And babies do put a wrench in the works of a lot of things. It's not a bad thing. It's just, it's just, you learn to do a lot. And then weekends are sort of mine where oftentimes I'll spend a few hours on a Saturday or a Sunday on my own and Jack is home with Kenny. And that would be my sort of Tuesday and Thursday where Jack is cared for and I'm doing, doing things without the baby. So we create a balance. Where does Gracie fit into this? Gracie is in and out of all of it. As her mother and her being Jack's sister, it would be very easy to rely on her for help. I have said it to many people and I'll say it here now. She is his big sister. She is not his mother. Yes, she's 20. Yes, she has a degree in early childhood. Yes, she is wonderful with Jack. It would be very easy to rely on Gracie and, and assign her times where she's in charge of death. It is not her job. I've never been a fan of people that overassign jobs like that on the siblings. It's, it's, you know, it can make sibling relationships really difficult. They should feel on the same side of the fence. They shouldn't feel like one sibling is, is, is the boss of them. Now, having said that, before multi-children families that have children with big age differences, I get it. And, and Jack and Gracie spend plenty of time alone together where she's his caretaker. But I just don't want Gracie to ever feel 
And because I had a baby, suddenly her life isn't what she wants it to be. She, she owes nothing to this family in regards to Jack, except to be the best big sister she can be. So while she's a part of the day-to-day of Jack, she's by no means assumed that she has a specific role. I just want her and Jack to love one another. And I want her to like having him around. Evenings can be tricky. I, I'm tap dancing again, and I'm trying to do a ballet class once a week. By five o'clock, I'm done. And typically these things are at six or seven at night. So that's tricky. And the other tricky piece is Kenny is the, the chef around here. He prepares dinner. He always has. When Molly and Gracie were growing up, I coached track. I wouldn't get home till six or 6.30 sometimes. So Kenny would come home and he would start dinner. And, and that was something that was a piece of the day-to-day that was his. So, you know, Jack's a baby. It's pretty hard to cook with a baby. If he's happy in his, in his little bouncy or in, in the pack and play or, you know, in his seat, that's great. But babies don't always stay happy, especially at seven months. So Gracie's role in the evenings can be a bit bigger. Oftentimes when I have school board meetings and I'm, and I'm out late, Kenny will, you know, start to fade around 8.30. And if I don't get home till 9.30 or 10, when I get home, it's Gracie and Jack. She actually is very good at getting him to fall asleep on her and do her homework. Plenty of times I've come in and he's been sound asleep on her chest and she's typing away on her computer, on her phone. So we make it work. We make it work and we work as a family and we work together. I would say the biggest difference here and this is just because I'm 57 at the time of Jack's birth, is that there's a lot of media attention and it's, and it's ongoing and it will be ongoing. And I want it to be ongoing. Here I am telling my story in a podcast so hundreds of people will listen. And it really is not ego barb wanting to be famous. That fame and being, having notoriety is a huge weight for the person and for everyone they know. But I had a baby at this very advanced age and there are plenty of other women that love more than anything to have this journey. And my first and foremost is to make this seem normal enough and to make Jack's life look regular enough that other women and their doctors will be supportive of their efforts to try and have a child. I've said many times, this doesn't, won't work for everybody. I've always had a very unique body when it comes to health and strength and running ability and athleticism, sort of genetics. So I have all of that going for me and I had nothing to do with any of that. I also am healthy and I, and I work out, I take care of myself. So obviously those two things complement having a baby, but I know plenty, plenty of healthy, vibrant women that try and try and try to have babies and can't. So there's so much that goes into it, but for a doctor to look at a woman and say, you're too old when they aren't, I mean, maybe that isn't the issue at all, is what I hope to change in the culture of medicine for women. I also want to change the culture of medicine for women in general. And that's, and that's another episode for another time around how I have always felt about women and young girls and how they're treated in the medical community. You know, women and men in general are treated very differently. And, and I don't think it's always conscious. So that's another piece of Jack's story that I think warrants public notice, me, me sharing that sort of thing. Jack's day-to-day life compared to Molly and Gracie's day-to-day life. This is another piece that I really wanted to put into play here a little bit. For those of you who knew me then and know me now, and for those of you that are contemplating babies at an older age, or those of you contemplating adopting your grandchildren, which can happen. I would say the biggest difference would be social media. When I would nurse Gracie and Molly and be stuck on the couch all day, it was TV. I just flip the channel, flip the channel, flip the channel, because that's what, that's what I could do while I was nursing. I try to read books, but it's, you know, with just one hand and sometimes it's harder. They fall asleep and you put them down and they cry. It's hard to, to get caught up in a book. And so I did a lot of TV watching. I watched a lot of movies. That was back when you had DVDs and Redbox and could rent movies and watch them on a DVD player. What got me through hours and hours of sort of being stuck with a baby in my arms. It's not that way now at all. It's my phone and it's social media. 
So social media right now is much bigger than just me playing on my phone instead of watching TV while I nurse a baby. It's all the implications and assumptions that come with social media. I, I made a comment in one of my past podcasts and somebody asked me about it, about the way that the girls pose and, and all this, like the pictures I see on Instagram and you know, all the different, you know, Tumblr and Twitter and all the different social media avenues that people, you know, Snapchat and all of those things where you see pictures of these beautiful girls and they're, to me, they're provocative. And then I realized, okay, <laughs> how did my grandmother feel when my mother was wearing a mini skirt, no bra and braids, you know, like that was who my mother was in the sixties. Cause that, that was from the fifties to the sixties. And I realized that I'm just the old person now <laughs> in the middle of this generation and social media falls into that to a large extent. And it's worth stepping back and looking at in a very non-judgmental way. I had someone actually ask me, how do I think Jack would feel 15, 20 years from now to see that he was all over social media and TV when he was too young to say yes or no to that? Well, that's tricky. I mean, nobody could be on TV. And if you have to be old enough to say yes or no, then we'd only look at teenagers and adults on TV. You know, so that's a piece that that as social media and the internet and streaming TV series and movies and podcasts and vlogs and all the things that are happening now come into play more. There's a whole mindset behind it that isn't natural to me because I wasn't raised. I didn't grow up in this mindset. Gracie, my Facebook, my first Facebook posts were in like 2007. You know, Gracie was six years old. Molly was four. So they don't know a life that doesn't have all of these. They, they, they have no idea. I remember Gracie taking my cell phone and walking all around, holding it under her ear. Yo, hi. Oh, hi. And talking to the phone on her ear. And she walked from room to room. My mother didn't walk from room to room when she talked on the phone. We had a long cord, but she found a place and she got comfortable and she talked on the phone there. These are just different, different things. I remember asking one of my students to call, oh, call somebody and ask them this question. And she looked at me like I was crazy. You want me to talk on the phone? I'm like, you have a phone. Why do you have the phone? Well, I'll text her. I don't want to call her. And it was this sort of a shift from talking to people to texting people. And I think we're coming back from that now. Why am I rambling on about all of these things? Social media is a huge piece of how I'm able to share Jack. Podcasts are, are a piece of social media. And I get to come on here and talk about Jack. Whoever watches this is looking at a room in my house, watching me talk in my sweaty clothes and my dirty hair. So I have to keep in mind that, that some of my assumptions going into the use of social media and the role of social media in Jack's life are not much different than how my Graham's Butterfield might've felt about my mom in 1970. You know, things are different, times change. So I feel as a grandmother, age mother, I need to be very mindful of these things. You know, so much, so much is just similar. I mean, babies, you change their diapers, you nurse them, they have little outfits that they outgrow, you take their pictures. You know, you, you listen for them to say words, you try different foods. So many of those things are exactly the same. You take them for walks, you go to the park, you put them on a swing. So many, so many of the day-to-day -day things with babies that take up time are no different. You could pluck Jack and me out of this house and put me anywhere, or you could insert Gracie with me or Kenny with Gracie, and the day-to-day -day tasks are unchanged. How we think about them and approach them could be very different. I find it's much easier getting through a lot of the day-to-day -day things just because of, of, of the science of things. Pampers have this little yellow stripe. And when there's moisture, the stripe turns blue. So you don't even have to get your fingers stinky by, by checking to see if the diaper's wet. You just see if the stripe is yellow or blue. I just find that fascinating. It made me chuckle. These are things that just make me laugh. You know, little bassinets have built-in music. So you don't have to have separate music to play. And I mean, some of those things existed when I had Gracie and Molly, but you know, not so much. We used to have swings. 
Well, now they have these things that looks like a little half of an eggshell and you lay the baby in it and it, and it moves around and all these sort of different ways. It reminds me of a Woody Allen movie, quite honestly. You know, those, those egg things they get into in that, in that Woody Allen movie. If these things can make complicated lives simpler, then God bless the families that have them. I don't have one. If I got one, I might like it too much. <laughs> so these are some of the, you know, as I, as I navigate through, and I am jumping around here a bit, which I have a tendency to do, but as I navigate through, the important things are no different. Love your baby. I loved Molly. I love baby Gordy. I love Gracie. I love Jack. I love all of them e equally, but differently. Anyone who's raising a child should do that first. The next thing is to really make sure that the way you're raising your baby is the way that your baby will thrive and be a positive member of their family and their reality and their culture and their society. And how I do that is very different than how my next door neighbor's daughter might do it. Her baby and her life has to be the way that works for her baby and her life. You know, and this, and this is all of the things, you know, as supportive as moms can be, we're also a judgmental group. And I know sometimes I get looks and they're judgmental. We, you know, hardcore breastfeeding mothers cannot understand why anyone would use formula. There are a million reasons to use formula. And a lot of formula moms think the thought of breastfeeding is disgusting. So there you have the black and the white. And in between are all the other moms. And these are the kinds of things that I find are no different. It matters not that I'm 58. All of these things are the same. My mothering instincts, my ability to feed my baby, my desire to be a good mother and to be healthy are all the same. Probably the biggest difference externally would be reactions. There are people, even the most supportive people, ask again and again, you know, in 20 years from now, I said, I understand in 20 years from now, Penny will be 86 and Jack will be 20. So how will that be for Jack to have an 86-year-old father? Well, Kenny had an 86-year-old father. I know he was an adult when his father was 86, but I think how Jack feels is how we raise him to feel and how we allow him to feel. And if he has times where he feels badly about it, he, he's allowed to do that. But Kenny is, you know, Jack's daddy. Jack, Jack doesn't care. He doesn't know yet. And by the time he's old, old enough to really figure it out and know, his opinions will come likely from what other people say, what he hears people saying. You know, I have older parents. My biological father is well over, would, were he here? He'd be like 110 now, you know, he, he, or 105. He'd be old, over 100, well over 100. I'm glad I had him as long as I had him. You know, my sister Eleanor only had him for about 13 years, maybe 14. You know what? I feel terrible for her that she, she missed out on has, and is missing out on having an alive dad in her teen years and 20s and the rest of her life. But she's here. She's a vibrant part of society. So her feelings around her dad are hers. And other people can say what they want. It matters not to Eleanor because it's her dad and she's the daughter and her mother and their decision to, you know, to be a family. Those are things that are remarkably different sometimes from when I was raising Gracie and Molly to raising Jack, the, the reactions of other people. If I had a big message in this, in this podcast, I think overall, and I've said this throughout every podcast, I think, you know, having Jack is terrifyingly wonderful, you know, fearfully terrific. <laughs> I, I can't say one without the other, which matches my life, good with the bad, you know, the traumatic with the glorious, Happy accidents. I was at a store today and somebody said something about sometimes we find things, it's a happy accident. And there's no accident in Jack, but I do think sometimes that I have that kind of life where I stumble into things and crazy things happen. So my overriding message really would be what I bring to Jack as a 58-year-old mother is no different at the end of the day than what 38-year-old mothers in my mom fit class, mom strong class bring to their kids. Love, acceptance, hope, 
dreams, fear, am I doing it right? Judgment, we're all right there. And with anything, the hard thing is to not listen to what other people think. I have a hard time with that sometimes. I'm always worried about what people think of me. And then I'm not. Like it's, you know, it's sort of both. I worry internally, but I come off like I don't care. And that was a surprise to some of my mom's strong moms when I was mentioning how tender I got about those things. And they, they all looked at me like, you don't come that way at all. You're so confident. And oh my gosh, you're so good with Jack. And oh my God, you know, they think I have all this confidence. So clearly I exude that, which might be good for Jack to feel like his mom is confident. But in, at the end of the day, we really, as a group of mothers, are no different at all. Our generation, generationally, yes. How we think and feel about life, yes. Social media and all the technology and the modern day ideas of things, different, yes. One major difference that I'm thrilled for with Jack is he's growing up in a, in a culture, we're struggling with it now, but of, of universal acceptance that, that some families have two moms, some families have two dads, some have one mom and no dad, some have one dad and no mom. Some are happily married. Some are married and miserable. Some are being raised by grandparents. Lots and lots are adopted. We have children in foster care. We have children with disabilities. All of the things that make us different. A multitude of religions now, different languages. You know, in 1969, let me think now. No, 1968, when I went to kindergarten, it was a white, white kindergarten class. The biggest difference was what neighborhood you lived in because my school straddled middle to lower middle class neighborhood and a very, very wealthy neighborhood. That division was fairly quick. The biggest differences were what you wore and you know how much money your parents made. My teachers, two of my first four teachers had been teaching for 40 years. They were they retired shortly after they had me in class after 30 year teaching career. So think about this for a minute. If a teacher's retiring in 1970 and they've been teaching for 40 years, they started teaching in 1930. That's the Great Depression. That's a completely different lifestyle than 1970, which was, you know, free love and drugs and, you know, rock and roll and everything else. Think about the difference those teachers had from their first day teaching to their retirement. So this is me starting off my life there. That was a big piece of my growing up, a big piece of why I kept quiet when bad things happened, a big piece of how I just wanted to fit in. And fitting in was one way. If you didn't fit in, you didn't fit in. I do feel that Jack will have a much greater opportunity to fit in because there are so many ways that you can fit in now. And I know the reality of kids who are different isn't, isn't always a lot better. I think kids get teased. I think gender issues, especially this is such a new piece of life. I just feel grateful that Jack will be born in a way that he gets to say what he wants to say and be who he wants to be because he will watch everybody around him doing those things. That's a, a difference that I embrace wholeheartedly. And I know it will be difficult for me sometimes. It's why I'll be re really, really glad to have Gracie around. And I look at that as the opposite of a multi-generational family. We have one, but the older generation is the mother and the younger generation is going to guide the mother as opposed to the other way around. So that's sort of a nifty thing. I feel better about this podcast as I, as I wrap it up here. I think it's a bit more structured. I, I've had a really hard time putting it together. You know, day-to-day -day life, well, it just is what it is. And so much of it's regular. You know, what's different generational differences between having Jack now and having him then. So I look at all my notes here. I want to give a shout out to my editor because he really helped me organize this up. But, you know, I look at it and, and I look at all the things that I've listed here. And really, they're no different than what anybody would worry about at, at whatever age. The other thing, too. Yeah, I'm 57. That's way older than other people. But we have so many moms that become moms in their 40s now mid 40s, late 40s, and early 50s even. I've met a handful. 
in this journey. Not everyone's having babies at 25. I think where it used to be a heavy in the 20s is much more in their 30s now. You know, here we are. Here we are. Baby Jack, big sister Gracie, daddy Kenny, mommy Barb, all living our lives under one roof as best we can. And that, I would say, is what we all do. That's no different than anyone else. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. I'm just about ready, actually, to wrap up season one. I'll do one final episode around really specifically centered around Jack and, and things like that. And then I'll be moving on to Molly, a lot of what it was like to go through that. Those will be those will be some tricky podcasts. But again, these are things that people don't talk about. And the people that need to hear them often don't hear them enough. So as I always do, I'm going to end my podcast with Molly saying, do you think you have a purpose? If so, what? I think mine is to make people happy. Does that make you happy? Yes. Purpose fulfilled. I don't know that my purpose as Barbara Higgins is to make people happy, but I do feel that everyone is, has the right to find happiness. Everyone has the right to be solid enough and safe enough and okay enough to pursue happiness, to be at the top of Maslow's triangle, where the physical needs, the emotional needs, and the ability to experience beauty bring you to self-actualization, where you can look at yourself and say, this is what would make me happy. I think we all deserve that. So do something today that will make you happy or do something that makes someone else happy. Anyway, have a great day, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and for supporting A Thousand Tiny Steps. I hope you enjoyed the episode and will continue to listen. Feel free to leave a review and share my stories with your friends. Also, please reach out if you have stories to share. I love hearing from and connecting with my listeners. If you would like to know what I'll be talking about down the road, you can find me on Instagram at barb underscore 444, on Facebook as Barb Higgins, and at my website, www.1000tinysteps.com.